Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Raw Knuckles Podcast. Please like, follow, and subscribe. So were you expecting to go in the first round? Oh, it's good getting there. So yeah. um, my year was really good. I, we, I played with Keith Primo. I think I had almost 100 points in junior, and our team went pretty deep in the, Check in the playoffs. That. Check, that. Check that. Keith Primo played with you. Yeah. Fair enough. I like that. I, yeah, you know what? Actually, again, positive self-talk, guys. <laughs> positive self-talk. When I stepped on the ice, I never backed down, and I never stayed down. And I was vicious, and I was malicious, and I don't care. <laughs> I'm alive. He's a freaking madman. Look at him going to town. All right, Maisel, welcome to the Raw Knuckles podcast. Obviously, you know, Tim, you guys played together. Um, we did, yes. We want to get right at it, and I'm going to get right at it saying, I retired because you came into the league. I said, Maisel's coming, I got to retire. You come in <laughs> 1992, 91-92, your first 91, year, right? 91-92 season, yes. was my last year, and I think we might have played against each other a couple times. I was... I was with the Bruins at the beginning of the year. I was with the Habs the rest of the year. And yeah. I want to yeah. know why you fucking duck me. I tried to fight you I don't know how many times. And <laughs> why'd you duck me? Okay, first of all, so we went into Boston. <laughs> as a Buffalo Sabre young player, my favorite team um, as a kid was the Boston Bruins. Um, I love watching Terry O'Reilly back in those days. And um, two of my favorite players were Barry Peterson. One of the reasons why I, I chose to wear number 10 um, when I could. Um, and the other player was nifty Rick Middleton. Absolutely loved him. I think he was, I think those are the two guys that I picked in my first hockey pool um, going into the playoffs when I was probably 10 years old. And anyways, why I ducked you see, I see it differently. Um, we stay, <laughs> we were staying at the Sheridan Co Co at Copley square. Um, my first experience in the Boston. And I think we went to dad's diner which was actually a great, great establishment there. And yeah, um, yeah. I said, I just want the, I just want somebody, a native of Boston from Quincy or Southie. <laughs> and, and all the fans are saying, you got to go after this Nyland guy. And if I remember correctly, you were looking for quarters in the corner when we, um, when we got into it. <laughs> well, at least I was in the corner. Give me a look. No, hey, hey, I'm only kidding. You know what? You were the best, Chris. And and you, matter of fact, one of one of the first games I played in the Boston Garden. Um, if I'm not, I think you either fought Robbie Ray. It was or, Ray, or, or 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 maybe Brad Miller, who was a big defenseman. Played. He ended up leaving Buffalo and went to Ottawa. But um, you guys had Jay Miller at the same time. You had mm -hmm. Lind Lyndon Byers was there, if I'm not mistaken. No, but, uh, Miller was gone. Lyndon was there. Lyndon was there, and then yeah. of course Boston. Big bad Bruins. Um, I tried my best. To, I, I I was I was shielded my first year. I had over three hundred penalty minutes, um, but I got to play with Robbie Ray and Gord Donnelly, and you know you know those two guys oh, yeah. intimately. But Gord Donnelly, um, he was the grandfather for us, and he he really uh, he set the tone, and he basically got me out of a lot of jams as a young player. Yeah, that's that's cool. Uh, listen. I, I look and, I, you know, you had an awesome career, over a thousand games. I wish I could have got there. Um, you know, I had so many injuries near the end. I I think I if I wasn't hurt, I probably would end up with like 950 games. Anyway, it's such an accomplishment, especially for a tough guy, to last as long as you did the 20 years 
whatever it was. And, and, you know, you put, you put some numbers up there. Certainly early in your career, uh, those PIMs, 309, 242, 171, 87, 295, 106, 130. And how was that coming into the league? You're a first-round pick. You were 14th overall, um, which I find incredible. Um, I mean, you had good numbers in junior and all that, but were you shocked you went in the first round or were you expected to go in the first round? If you asked me um, two years earlier, and I, own, and I say that, there's absolutely zero thought of playing the National Hockey League. I mean, as a kid, we all dreamt of, you know, becoming players, but understood also how difficult, you know, and where you have to go. At that time, when I was, when I'm talking, I'm talking 16, 17 years old, um, I got to go, I, I was a ninth pick um, in the sixth round, but the ninth pick to the Hamilton Steelhawks as a junior player. They didn't expect me to make the team in junior. Um, I went there. There was eight guys ahead of me. I was lucky enough to make the team. But what really helped me as a as a young guy, my birthday's late. So it was after September 15th. It's November 29th. And um, I got an extra year playing junior because I was ineligible to be drafted with all the other 1971 birthdays. Um, Keith Primo, Mike Ricci, myself all got drafted the next year, all being 1971 birthdays. But um, what I was going to say there is – you never really thought about it until I got an agent um, at Christmas time is when I signed with my, my agent who was with me my whole career, Pat Morris. Um, that was, a, that was Christmas of my second year playing junior. Um, so I hear these families and I even know it. I know now it's different. It's a lot more competitive. There's players from everywhere, but um, the idea that a young player needs an agent, I don't think is necessary. Um, an agent or an advisor can help you get to a certain location if they have the right contacts. But at the end of the day, you got to let your play do the talking and it's not bad being the underdog because here's the kicker. If, if you're the underdog, your probably lowest moments are kind of overlooked and not really, pay, they don't pay attention to because people expect it, but then your fine moments are, um, are extra special. And all of a sudden as an underdog, you're always chasing, um, you're not expecting things to happen, so it forces you to work hard and be more, more, more present. So, were you expecting to go in the first round? Oh, it's good getting there. So, yeah. Um, yeah. my year was really good. I we I played with Keith Primo. I think I had almost a hundred points in junior, and our team went pretty deep in the, Check in the playoffs. Check that. Check that. Keith Primo played with you. Yeah. Fair enough. I like that. I, yeah, you know what? Actually, again, positive <laughs> self-talk, guys. <laughs> positive self-talk. Um, but yeah, Preems and I both got drafted in the first round. At Later in that season, it was trending that I was moving up in the draft. Um, I actually, of the 21 teams that were, were picking, I had um, probably 17 or 15 or 17 interviews with all these teams. The one team I never spoke to was the Buffalo Sabres. And they actually made a trade at the draft and draft and moved up. Obviously, they selected or in the trade, they got Dale Howarchuk um, in return for, for Phil, Phil Housley, Scott O'Neill, and Jeff Parker. But I, got, I, I, I was lucky because I was close to Buffalo. I obviously was able to play the game like you, Chris, that other players weren't willing to do possibly at that time and then had the ability to do it pretty well. Um, it, was, it was kind of, I think the hard part was trying to figure out, am I supposed to be the tough guy tonight? 
or am I supposed to be the guy that actually really is expecting to and is relied upon to score points? Um, that's that's a tough place to be as a player, especially when the team's not doing well because the last thing you want to be is selfish. But um, I don't know if you went through that, but early in my career it was difficult, but I had good teammates that, that helped me along. Yeah, that was tough for me to try to, you know, I didn't know if I had the fighter or score either, so I can rip no, uh, no, I what did you like doing better, though, Mayday? Did you like scoring? You like fighting? Obviously, Timmy, both. I wish, no, you know, I, I love both. If if I could, listen, if I said I could score 300 or 400 goals, raising your hands and cheering like that, it's pretty darn fun, right? But equally as fun, maybe not when you lose, but is when you're actually the fight ends and you're skating to the penalty box and there's 18,000 people on their feet possibly in that, in that moment. Um, it's pretty intoxicating as a player. It's pretty fun. And you know, you're, you're actually all in with your teammates, your buddies, you know, expect it, but they really appreciate it. Um, I riff, I wish I was a goal scorer, but the fighting was really fun. Yeah. You know, I got to <clears throat> second that for me, the, the best thing was scoring a goal. I absolutely, I went ape shit when I scored a goal. I just, I, I love scoring goals. And anytime I did, I just, just the best feeling for me in hockey. And I get the fight end of it. Um, the difficult part is like you said, when you lose one and you're going to the penalty box, kind of licking your wounds, knowing you, you took a beating and you got to sit there with that for a little bit. But you talk about 18,000 people screaming and yelling and that's great when you're home but when you got 18,000 in the Boston Garden throwing pizza <laughs> beer and all that shit at you that's not fun either ducking oh, I, all I, the way, I, right? I don't know I I don't know I think I think on the road obviously there's moments that were really intimidating going into Philadelphia at times and different different buildings but it's fun when the other fans don't like you and by the way you know they it's not that they don't like you they just want to cheer for their team and you and you get that but um I love getting on fights on the road and then going to the penalty box. The only hard part is when you had Fred Flintstone, you know, when he would whack his toe and it just throbbing and you got this knot on your head and you know that if you put ice on it, it would make it feel better. But the last thing you want to do is show the world that, that, that the guy got you with a good one. So um, that five or 10 minutes in the penalty box at times, definitely, definitely hurt. I definitely remember those feelings, but um, I was fortunate. I didn't have, um, too many nights where I got absolutely smoked. So um, there was definitely a few, but yeah, I'm, I, I'm happy that I could talk about fighting now. I'll never fight again. By the way, we're getting older guys. And there's, if we did get in a fight, no body shots. We're too soft. <laughs> we're too soft. But um, no, you know what? Hockey's awesome. Gave me everything I've got. I'm sitting on this couch right now because of hockey. Um, it's amazing. What a beautiful game. So Buffalo, the years in <clears throat> Buffalo. Did did you play for Ted Nolan? I did. Yes, I yes. absolutely. Tim and I had Ted on here, and I absolutely love that kid. I played against him uh, my first year pro. He was in Adirondack. I was in Nova Scotia, and I love the guy. How was he as a coach? Is he? He strikes me as the type of guy. He's a player's coach. He strikes me as the type of guy that everybody will go through a wall for the guy. Okay, b before I get there, you called him a kid. For Tim and I, he's an older gentleman to us. So just kind of put it all in perspective, Chris. Okay. Um, all right. Just for that. But no, Ted Nolan is my – there's a lot of wonderful people I've met in hockey, but he's my favorite. He's my favorite coach um, personally. Awesome. Um, the way he was – he had the ability to um, impart his knowledge and experience very simply. 
um, on his players. I remember I was going through a really, like we all do, right? We're all insecure when we're playing and you have good moments, but some of those bad ones are kind of, you know, you, you're left to do it alone a little bit. I remember going into Teddy's office and I said, listen, Ted, I, you know, went, whatever I went through litany of things I was doing wrong and what I needed to do better. And, you know, he said, he stopped me right away. He goes, listen, you got to think of three things. That's it, Brad. Tonight, you got to think of three things. First of all, you're a left winger. Be a left winger. Skate, shoot, hit. That's all you have to do. You start like that, your game's going to come back. But you have to get your feet going. At the end of the day, and then he goes, at the end, of, you're a left winger. When you go to the high school prom, who do you dance with? You dance with the girl you brought to the prom, right? He says, you're a left winger. Be a left winger. Don't try to do too much. And all of a sudden, you're back on and you're playing because he simplified it. Because I think a lot of times players are not worse today than they were yesterday, but they think too much. And coaching, and that's that's the whole, I say joy, but the whole thing about practice, the harder you practice, it, it can be implemented, you know, system, you know, right ingrained um, for first thoughts when you actually go up and play in a game. Um, but if you're thinking, you're slower. So when a player turns 31, you know, just had his he was 30 and he's a great player and he turns 31 and people say he's slow no he's no he's no slower i bet you if you put his his body you know skating tests everything else i bet he's all the same but he's thinking slower because he's probably got too many things in his head so teddy nolan was able to like like minimize that stuff for us and um to a man outside of a couple of our teammates we all love teddy did you have any coaches that made you think too much yes Yes, and then and then when I start thinking, this head's huge, Timmy. You know it, and 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 once those once those thoughts start banging around inside this, this toys this in head. the attic, <laughs> toys in the attic. Um, yeah, you know what? There's I'll give you one. Um, playing for Colorado, Joel Quinville, who by the way should be in the National Hockey League today. Yeah. I think it's tragic that Joel Quinville has has actually had to walk this path. He was a great coach for the Chicago Blackhawks, making decisions on players playing the game. Um, People above him should have been in charge of making decisions of personnel. Couldn't above. agree more. Yeah. I don't think that's – listen, we're in the military. You do not step out of your role or your rank. Um, with that being said, that was a shitty situation. Um, but Joel should be a coach. I get to Colorado. I, I make a – it doesn't matter, but I make a big hit in the corner and we're going over video the next day and he's like, you can't do that. And I'm like, I don't understand. I, I, the first one on the forecheck – make a big hit he goes yeah but where's your stick and i'm like what do you mean where's my stick who cares i i ran like <laughs> the first guy lays the body the second guy gets you know read and react and he goes no no every time no matter where you're on the ice you have to have a good stick stick in the puck passing lane influence the play going up the boards into the middle wherever you want the play to influence use your stick it's a it's a great tool but it has to be on the ice and you will knock down more pucks and and deflect more pucks if you play this way, I couldn't get it, you know, through my head. Every time I wanted to throw a big hit, my hands would come up, my sticks in the air. I'd make the hit. Of course, the puck goes through my feet. They get a breakout, and the hit was irrelevant. And I think that's different in the game today than where it was once. Um, and for me to go in and start thinking about where my stick was, my initial thought was, you know, for like all-out aggression yeah. and throw a hit. Now I'm thinking about where my who gives a shit about my stick, but I'll tell you what Joel's right. Mm -hmm. The more the better you can play. That's obviously technique, but 
these things you have to think of. It took me about a month or two. Um, I ended up being able to take that the rest of my career. I was lucky enough to win a cup a year later. But I, 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 I tribute to a lot of these things from these small little lessons. And Joel Quinville, it's still, it's still with me. A good, I play shitty hockey today. But when I do play, I think about where my stick's going to be on the ice, not in the air um, to this day. Joel Quinville should be in the National Hockey League again. I totally agree. Couldn't agree more. We t- we talked about this already, uh, and we took a lot of shit for uh, for uh, bringing up uh, that whole incident and everything that w- went on there. But I think he certainly paid his penance, and love to see him back. This episode's brought to you by BetterHelp. We all know how easy it is to get swept up in the fast pace of life. So much so that we forget about ourselves. It happened to me. And most of you know I've battled addiction and have been clean and sober for years. I thought I could confront these issues on my own. I couldn't. I've become a big believer in the positive impact of therapy. It helped me to learn positive coping skills and how to set healthy boundaries. It actually empowered me to be the best version of myself. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, I suggest BetterHelp. It's entirely online, it's convenient, flexible, and you can arrange everything to fit your own schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And quite frankly, I wish BetterHelp was around when I was looking for help. It's so easy and flexible. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Raw Knuckles today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Raw Knuckles. Um, Mazo, um, the May Day goal, Rick Jenner uh, called it against the Bruins. I mean... that had to be such a great feeling for a guy who goes out there, protects his teammates, you're in the playoffs against Boston. Uh, It's an overtime winner, and uh, you guys end up sweeping the Bs. Was that one of the highlights of your career? I I never scored an overtime goal. I I can't imagine. I I would have went through the roof. But how was that? Mayday, mayday, mayday. That's unreal. And he gets tripped up, gets it to May, and over the line, he's May going in on goal, he shoots, he scores! But you know what? Well, I'll tell you what, Chris, it's my nickname today. When I met Timmy, when we played together in Toronto, um, that's my nickname. So after 1993, that, that you know, becomes my moniker. But um, against the Boston Bruins, and I could just think about because it's most recent, the Boston Bruins just, just had the most historic season and got bounced in the first round of the playoffs, right? First, yep. second round. Yep. First. First or first. second? First round. First. Yeah, first round. And, and, of course, it's a game seven situation. But it was very much like that. The Boston Bruins were one of the best teams in the league. We were kind of struggling getting – we were knew we were in the playoffs in the Adams division, but we were kind of struggling. And we came in and we swept the Bruins. And the cool part about it is Andy Moog was the goalie, who – legend, goal, you know, Stanley Cup winner. Um, and Ray Bork was a guy that was the you last Bruin. Him, right? yeah, you him and, around him. And, and I'm not saying this – I'm not saying that to, uh, to, to say anything about Ray, but – the, the image 
and the, and the memory that everybody has is really cool. Um, it's a moment in time that's lasted for over 30 years now, mm-hmm. and they still play it going into playoffs. It's in the top five or top 10 overtime goals of all time or overtime calls. So awesome. probably more, more importantly, overtime calls because there's been so many great goals. But um, yeah, it's still living. And I'll tell you what, I guarantee you the day that I, I kick it and I leave this world, <laughs> they're going to probably play that call. Um, certainly in my house they will or in the family. But um, it's been a great experience that I continue to get to live with. Oh, I would be abusing that if that was me too. Like my wife was yelling at me, I'd just play that loud, you know, in the house. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Like anytime hey, someone does anything, I would just play it. No, it is unbelievable. <laughs> sure. Thanks, Timmy. Yeah, it was definitely, it was one of the greatest moments, seriously, as an individual. Of course, you play as a team and it's all that other bullshit that truly it is. It's more important about the team, but that's one moment that's lasted and still lives and it's pretty cool. Yeah, like, you know, for me, the Stanley Cup is the highlight of my career. I'm sure it is yours, too. But you have those personal moments where you did something that, you know, was important to you and, yes, to the team. But it it does last. And I I think that's so cool to have that memory, no question about it. And then, of course, the memory of playing alongside Tim Stapleton. That's got to be like a highlight (laughs) of your career, no, in Toronto. Staples told me. He was in Toronto long enough to shower with the boys once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Mayday, you were my welcome, like kind of to the NHL moment because I got I got called up and I was like so nervous and we got on the plane and I was like, where do I sit? And you know, the plane takes off and like one of those like foiled, whatever trays, you had it flattened and you sat on it and as the plane took off, you come sledding down the aisle. And I was just <laughs> like, what is going on here? But it was the best. You were the best. It was awesome. It was. It was uh, welcoming oh uh, we sure. do soup yeah we did some a lot of fun silly things but um timmy yeah we didn't play it too long together and matter of fact it was my second last year i was in toronto um, i got traded in january to, to the maple Leafs and finished the season there i absolutely loved it i grew up north of toronto um but tim what you're a hell of a player and you actually um today is a day or over the last few years i think a player like yourself you were so talented, yet you you would have had to play in the top two lines or certainly on that top spot. And are you going to put – was the NHL ready to put a, a, a smaller player, and I say that the diminutive size player in that role, and back in the day they didn't. It was more about size and, and, mm. and, and pedigree um, to do that. Unfortunately, you get up, you get to play in the National Hockey League and you get stuck with – a guy like myself and Jamal Mares and, and, and you're not able to do what you are most capable to do. And that would be provide offense. So um, it's kind of, it's weird because I think teams should, should groom their, their, their players in the minors into the role that they see them playing in the national hockey league. Um, a little bit more than just become a good player. And then we'll place you in the wrong environment We'll lose your rights, and then you become a player in three or four years somewhere else. Um, mm-hmm. I think teams should have maybe a little bit more focus on where their players should fit and then place them, put them in the right spot for success um, over just a body and a number. And yeah, I, and well, I don't fun- want, do you agree, I think? <laughs> yeah, it's funny you're mm-hmm. talking about that because yeah. I wanted to ask you, obviously coming in 91-92, okay? Yeah. And then you – um played till the 2010 season 
I, I want to know how you saw the game. Listen, I had a coach, Claude Rural, I loved him. The game don't change. Yankee boy, the game don't change. But the game did change. How did it change from that very beginning for you to, you know, your last few years in the game? Because there was some big changes there after the lockout, all that stuff. How did it yeah. change? Well, uh, you know, <clears throat> I think there's trends, and the trends are happening again. Right now, defense, after watching Vegas play really well and dominate and win the cup, it's going to be about size and mobility. Mobility is everything. you got to be able to skate. Skating is the number one skill in hockey. If you can't do that, you'll, I don't care if you you can't get to the puck, you can't get to the right areas to be a good player. Um, but as it as it started, we, we played against defensemen, Chris, that literally, I don't want to say couldn't skate backwards, but would skate backwards, turn forwards to catch up, and then and then pivot again um, if they got caught in you know a transition situation. Um, today, these players are so so gifted. That's thirty years later. We saw we went through the fighting days. We went through the hooking and holding. A lot of rule changes. Then all of a sudden, you've got you can't you can't chip the puck out of the out of your own zone because of netting. Of course, there's penalties enforced now. You know that that certain defensemen high and hard off the glass. That was their their job, but if they miss the glass four or five times, ten times a season, mm -hmm. they probably lose. Full, you know what I mean? They're not as good of a player because today they can't play because that puck might go out. Um, then you got into um, not not salary the salary cap era two thousand four. All players now entering the National Hockey League have to wear face protection. You and I, you came in the league and guys didn't even have helmets, Chris. When I came in the so Nuxa, when I came in the league, there was seven players that didn't wear a helmet. Um, yep. Other players had helmets, but then they became visors. Not to say that the, the hockey's gotten better, but the personalities that are playing the game um, have just developed in a much different environment. Um, when I watch a fight today in the National Hockey League, it doesn't get the same response from its teammates and the benches as it once did because it's not as important. The, the the threat is the threat of the fight's more important than the fight itself. Number one. So just having somebody that actually is there just in case keep people keeps people honest. But taking penalties and get it going on the you know in the penalty kill situation, you're going to hurt your team. So players, as you looked at my career, my penalty minutes went down significantly at the end of my career because saw that. As I was a gonna player, say, I was going to say you turn into a wimp. Well, you know what? No. Two things. Get, no, no, but two <laughs> things. I, w I was definitely a wimp in the sense I didn't want to put myself in a spot where if I took the extra two-minute penalty and lost that game, my, at my age, as it was aging out of the league, you're not going to play and they're going to put somebody yeah. else in there. So now you're playing safe and not as aggressive. Therefore, you're not as good of a player, not as um, – much of a weapon you can lose your sudden, effectiveness right? it, it can having these thoughts it cannibalizes itself right and i think for me it, it was hard because you wanted to be that guy at certain times to to ramp it up but you didn't want to go past cross that line when i was younger my coaches told me it doesn't matter cross the line as many times as you want we got your back because you're a young guy with potential and you were going to play you're in the you're in the pipeline um, as you got older it became a little more fragile Speaking of all the changes, we always ask our guests this because, um, you know, we just need to know. What, what's your thoughts on the iPads on the bench? Well, I think, listen, everything we do, I, kids don't even use a calculator at school anymore, mm. right? Um, they actually are encouraged to bring calculators. We have 
information at our disposal, I like it. However, it's taking away from the personalities or the character of the game in the game. I think iPads, I don't know if they should be allowed on the bench. I don't, um, I think all that, all those tools are amazing to, to teach, but the game should be played in that moment of 90 minutes, you know, 60 minutes, but it's going to take, what is it? Three hours to play a hockey game in those three hours outside of your two, your 15 minute stoppages intermissions. I don't think you should be able to weigh in and go back to the iPad, play in the moment, learn from it and move on. But it's there at their disposal. I think it's probably helped players. If you ask players today, some guys would love it. Other players, when they make mistakes, they'll hate it because their coach identifies it right away. But when we played Chris, you'd get, you get sat out of a game or you, whatever. And the coach would be like for the last three weeks, you've been, a, you know, you haven't been forechecking. You haven't been playing the way you, yeah, you get your ass in gear. You're going, yeah. but I'm like, okay, that's cool. And I'm sorry. I haven't, but where were you three weeks ago when you first saw this trend? Why didn't you tell me three weeks ago and help me instead of letting me hang myself, you know, with my, <laughs> yeah. with my habits or behavior, um, coaching and that communications key do the iPads help that? Probably. The only problem with video, though, anytime as a coach or an analyst that I am, when I look at video, all I see is the negative. Because I'm yep. expecting, I'm right. expecting to see, <laughs> yeah, so I'm true. expecting to see the positive, yeah. right? Like, yeah. oh my god, I want to jump out of my seat when a good good play happens. But anytime that that player makes a mistake and stays outside of the the dot lane on the back check or whatever the scenario is, all as all you see as a coach is a negative. All of a sudden, you're looking at your players from the wrong perspective. That yeah. that pessimism sucks. Teddy Nolan was the one coach that never brought that into the environment, and that's probably why I love him that much. It's funny you say that, but listen, I hate the iPads. I think there's a time and a place. Listen, you you know what you did on the ice, and if you're not sure about it, come see me between periods. We'll take a look at it. I get it. Um, and as far as video, it's funny you say that. Like... I remember when I was coaching the East Coast League and then when I was in Jersey for the year with Lemire, obviously when you break down game tape, you want positives and negatives. The negatives you want to use as a teaching tool. Lemire was amazing at it, and he would always preface all his video uh, uh, sessions, the ones he had, with, listen, I'm going to show some negative things here, things we're doing wrong that we have to correct. I'm not doing it to point to you and say, you know, you're bad, you're stupid, you're this, you're that. No, these are things we have to correct. And you may be the example in one case and someone in the next case. We're not doing it to embarrass you. We're doing it to get better. And then all his video sessions would end with positive stuff when we did stuff right. So he put, he make sure he put, if he had a guy in there, say he had me in there screwing up, which I did enough, he would end it with showing me doing something good that right. will go around the team. So I think it's a great tool. And I'm sure today, certainly that's the first thing. Cause you're looking for mistakes, right? It's a game of mistakes. So, and as an analyst, right, you gotta be, you looking at it going, you know, you, you gotta be able to break down a goal against, you know, like boom, or a goal for, you gotta be able to break it down quick. So you got to see where the mistake is made and tell the, at least tell the people that are watching it, here's what happened here. Here's what should have been done different. And that's, that's not easy to do in a, you know, split couple seconds, right? 
No, it's not. Um, however, I definitely think that anytime I'm looking at this is what I do. Um, if watching, and of course you have to stay present when you're watching, but um, any goal, any situation that I want to like analyze and, and dissect, roll it back 15, 20 seconds. And there is a mistake. Now it might not be a mistake. It might be a, the wrong formation or, 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 or system that the other team's using that that player's out of position, you know, in this, in this scenario, but there's a breakdown, um, there, there's a breakdown or there's an ex- exploitation from the good team that ends up scoring that they were able to exploit that positioning or, or whatever but you can go back watch every goal and you can say he pivoted the wrong way his stick was joel quenville his yeah. stick was in the middle it should have been actually taken out way that you know the threat the biggest number one threat would be that pass whatever it may be so it's it's been fun i love it i really enjoy watching hockey and doing this but um i still get i have fits over coaches being and, and, and all for the right reasons, I'm sure, from them, but their communication maybe sucked or I didn't receive it right. Video to me, when I was playing, it seemed to be all negative or mostly negative, and it wasn't a, t- a teaching tool as much. We didn't have iPads back then. It was broken down off of VHS tape yeah. and, of course, DVD. But um, thing, it, things have evolved. But when you look at a video as a coach – you see the worst. You you look at your players and you and you see all their warts and all their flaws. But then you're playing against the team and you're like, but that player is awesome. I want him. He comes into your environment and he's the same player. I think a lot of these moves are moving out. It's more personality than it is ability, because I think a lot of these players you can just really plug in play, if you will. Um, and most coaches that I was with or, or managers. They valued everyone else's players more than they value their own, which which is kind of kind of shitty yeah. when you're trying to when you're trying to buy. But Jacques Lemaire, the way he communicated, like you just explained, that's amazing. Jacques Lemaire is one of the greatest teaching coaches of all time. Not to mention mm-hmm. um, coaches. Um, I was going to sign a contract after the lockout in 2005. I had an opportunity to sign in, in a few different locations. One of them was going to be the Minnesota Wild, oh, and um, and I, I had you, that choice. You would have freaking loved. He would have loved you. You would have loved and, him. And, and and I called Claude Lemieux, and here this is a true story. I call I called Claude because Claude played for Jacques yeah. and played with Jacques. I I think no, he didn't um, play with him. He played for okay. Him. Play, played for him. Um, I got a, I got an opportunity to go to Dallas, Colorado. There was a couple other teams. And I asked, I asked Pepe, I said, you know, where would you go? And he said, if you want to learn how to be the best hockey player ever for you, go to Minnesota. Jacques Lemaire is the best coach out there. Um, he's going to teach you. You're probably not going to have as much fun, like your family life at this moment, because you don't know that area and you got to pick the kids up. He goes, and I signed with Colorado. He won a cup with Colorado. And he said, if you want all of it for, for, for Bridget and, and Tyler and Samantha, my children, Denver on the mountains or in the mountains, their life, hockey, uh, Pierre Lacroix, you, you, you're going to love, uh, and Joel Quenville, you're going to love playing in Colorado. I would go to Colorado for your family and your hockey situation. But if you could just go and be the best hockey player yourself, you should have went, you should go to Minnesota. That's right. what he told me. Uh, Pepe, Pepe Speak- Lemieux, he wanted he wanted you with him, so he, he he wouldn't have to do all the dirty work. 
That's speaking, of co- <laughs> speaking of coaches, Sorry, I was going to ask Jim. you, what was your experience with uh, two questions with Mike Babcock? And, and are you surprised he got a job again? Interesting. I think I, I, here's a kicker. I, I think hockey or maybe just society in general, people get canceled now. And let's assume that he got canceled. He got fired and certainly was ripped apart in the media. Maybe oh. he deserves it all. Who knows? Right. But maybe he does. Yeah. Maybe he didn't. What, can you not rehabilitate yourself anymore today? Like if, if, if in fact you made bad decisions and you were a bad person and you did bad things, can you not actually make a promise? I thought forgiveness was a thing in, in this society. And not to mention, you got to do the steps required. Mike Babcock, he, 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 maybe he's done those steps. He certainly was able to land this other job in Columbus. I've talked to some Columbus Blue Jacket players. They're excited. Here's the reason why they're excited. They're going to become better players. Again, it's kind of like the fun to the hockey element. Babs is a hell of a coach. He's very prepared. Maybe a little bit of an inability to to connect to some of his Communication players. Communication was folded uh, in knock, right? And, and and so I'm sure over the last few years, there's a, a come to Jesus moment where he, hey, I gotta I gotta treat people differently. The old school's out, right? I, the way I parent my son is very different than the way my dad parented me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, society set, sets it up for that. But no, I'm not surprised that he's back. Um, I do think that there are other coaches and other players, and there's some young players that should be in the National Hockey League that absolutely have been railroaded by behavior. Okay, not good. Maybe criminal, awful. But can you not reha- rehabilitate yourself? I am speaking of the, the 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 kid that signed with the Boston Bruins last year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is that well, I can't remember his name though. Miller, uh, I think Miller or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So listen, I but but in the same vein, if you do the steps necessary and you have the ability, it's great. Are we not all looking for a second chance? Chris, you've been through this. Oh, your yeah. whole life is your whole life has been about second chances and and knocking it out of the park. Yeah. Right? Like you being an amazing guy and doing this. Mm-hmm. I if, 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 if my answer was no, Mike Babcock shouldn't be a coach in the NHL ever again, that's the most ignorant thing to say. Yeah, yeah I, you know, In I, my opinion. I'll tell you, I never thought that he should never be a coach again. I never thought that. I, I thought, will he ever get another chance? Because, sure. again, I'm all for second chances with people. And, yes, you have to rehabilitate yourself. You have to convince someone and show them that you change. Words are great, but it's actions that – people see you can hear anything you want but you got to see the action and when we talk about Babcock it's funny we're talking about him right now but I heard his daughter he, he I heard him in an interview and he said you know what my my daughter told me dad um, they were talking about his communication skills and she said it's not so much what you say dad it's how you say it and and he come out and said that and he said i made some changes i i was really impressed with the interview by him i listen i i wish him nothing but luck there hopefully he does he does uh turn it around that way and he has success we'll see um, do, you know, do you know what i you know what i didn't go for? so i played for babs in detroit yeah. i have teammates that dislike him yeah. i i know a lot of guys that have been public and said shitty oh, yeah. things that hate right? him yeah. i i have and and, and but I also have – I had my own, ex, my, my own experience um, experiences, and I'll give you one. And maybe this doesn't change the coach or whatever. Oh, I don't even care. I don't even want to weigh in on that because I'm not a player anymore and I don't have any influence. But um, my, I, 
we had a father's trip in Detroit. It was my last year in the league. I had been on father's trips. This is a thing that happened. The Nashville Predators started it in around 2000 when they came into the NHL. Anyways, you've been a part of those, Tim, where we bring your, your mm-hmm. father on a trip. Some of them do mother's trips. I said to um, the PR guy on our team, I'm like, Beamer, I'm going to bring my son. It's a father's trip. I'm the dad. My kids live in Toronto right now. It's my last season in the NHL. I'm going to bring my son. Two days before the trip, I get called into Babcock's office. He says, I, I'm looking at the manifest because he's incredibly detailed. He knows everything that's going on. It's his kingdom. And he says, um, I see that you're bringing Tyler on this trip. And their trip is going to New Jersey and Madison Square Gardens, New York Rangers. And I said, yeah, yeah, you know, it's my last. I, I thought, oh, shit, he's going to tell me that I can't bring him. He's too young. He's 13 years old and can't do it. And he goes, I think that's the greatest thing ever. It's awesome. Good for you. He goes, you know what? Um, how's he getting to Detroit? And I said, oh, we're going to send him on the train. He goes, perfect. Do, you, does, do we need to do anything to get him to the game? You're playing Thursday night. He's coming in. I said, no, I've got it covered. He goes, okay, make sure he brings his hockey equipment. And I said, what do you mean bring his hockey equipment? We're going on an NHL trip, two games back to back, but the Saturday night in, um, in New Jersey, or excuse me, in Madison Square Gardens. He goes, yeah, Brad. He goes, you don't think Tyler, what, he doesn't want to skate, morning skate with the Detroit Red Wings on the right wing with Pavel Datsuk and Henrik Zetterberg? You don't think he'd like that? And I, and, and I, and I, was, I sat back and I was like, that's incredible. And so my son, true to form, he comes on the trip. He's on the ice, and when we walk in the locker room, excuse me, prior to going on the ice, walk in the locker room. Of course, you know how locker rooms are set up with your your name plaque above yeah. your head right there, Chris, but, you know, your jersey yeah. and your name plaque. Well, there's two little stalls, two May stalls, uh. and my son's got a number nine Detroit Red Wing jersey. Now, my son did wear number nine. How did Mike Babcock know that? Unless it was just something to do because of Gordie Howe, but it had his name on it, and it was a boy's large shirt or whatever. So there was enough thought that went into it two days before this trip. Nobody else knew it would, it happened from Babcock to the trainers to make this happen. So that's if awesome. I, yeah. If I hear that he's a shitty person one more time, I'm going to tell this story two more times because <laughs> it's actually that right there that made, that's probably the highlight of my last year in the national hockey league. I gotta be honest. That's awesome. Awesome stuff. If you're like me and you're going to play some golf this summer, you have to check out this hidden gem. Windmill Heights sits atop the beautiful hills in Notre Dame de Il Perot. They have affordable rates and they offer customized membership opportunities for all levels. If you want to book a tea time, call 514-453-7177. Hit them straight. If you love your pet like I love my St. Bernard Adele, you'll want to feed them a balanced, biologically appropriate raw diet. The reason I've chosen Formula Raw is because all blends of their food are locally sourced and they consist of exclusively human-grade meat and organs, as well as fruits and vegetables. And all products used are hormone and antibiotic-free. So like I said, if you love your pet like I love Adele, you'll choose Formula Raw. Make sure you go to FormulaRaw.com and use the promo code RAWNUX at checkout to receive 10% off your first order. That's Raw Nux, R-A-W-K-N-U-X. Listen, all those coaches, uh, certainly, we take something from all those coaches, and you've had your share of um, 
penalty minutes during the league. You mind if you talk about a couple of incidents that you had sure. during your career? Because I had them. You know, sure. they, they're not fun. <laughs> I went through one with Middleton and I got suspended eight games. You have one of the longest uh, suspensions in the history of the game, 20-game suspension for um, chopping someone in the nose with your stick, uh, Steve Hines. How, um, you know, you know what I want to know? Why did you do that, you mean guy? <laughs> and <laughs> would you think that was a little heavy-handed, the 20 games? Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. So um, the number one, I wouldn't say, so – <laughs> come on, come on. I, I, okay, Num- number number one, it's a cost of doing business. Yeah. Got to play 19 years in the National Hockey League. Unpredictable, somewhat of an idiot at times. A guy that could snap, which, by the way, was valued, and you probably made more money because <laughs> of that. Teams wanted you more or I, didn't No, the wanna... more money pot, not with me. Thank you. Okay. But go ahead. Or, 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 or teams <laughs> wanted you or didn't want to play against you because you were unpredictable. Yep. Being one of the reasons that, how to become unpredictable is to do some crazy shit. Now, yeah. this was not on purpose. I slashed Steve Hines in the side of the face, literally like this, two-hand, um, back-checking. I, I'll tell you exactly. You were a shot trying to hook goal. him. No, I took a shot on goal. <laughs> I had the puck. I took a shot on a, on a not even a, a full-on offensive chance. I took a slap shot inside the blue line. Kick, kick pad, rebound, down the ice the other way. I turn. I'm not too deep in the play, so I'm actually – I've already done my job. I'm already up the ice ahead of what effectively would be the fourth or fifth defenseman or the fourth or fifth player. I start coasting in the neutral zone, and Steve Hines, just inside our blue line, blows by me on the right-hand side. Now it was a two-on-two situation. He was coming in. I, I, I panic. I, I went to hit him in the arm, basically, like, hey, like Chop. I screwed up. A guy got caught sleeping a little bit. And I chopped him, but I hit him in the side of the head. Down goes Steve Hines. He's off the ice. He gets stitches. He scores on the power play, a five-minute major that night. He scored the next night, too. I actually got Steve going. <laughs> but, but, no, uh, I should have been, susp- yeah. been suspended for more games. Right from that moment, I, I skated right into our locker room in Columbus. This is the first year Columbus was in the league. Down the hallway, I went into the Columbus Blue Jacket locker room, into their training facility, because I was like, what the – what the fuck did I just do? I didn't mean, like, I literally didn't mean to, but you have to be in control of your stick. I'm accountable. They gave me 20 games. Um, it was a year after Marty McSorley hit Donald Brashear. I yeah. was in that game as well with the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. Um, at, and, but with saying all that, if that was a high watermark of being in a, a, unaccountable, I could have hit him in the eyeball and, t- mm-hmm. and knocked his eye out. If I did that, it would be a different yeah. conversation today. Yeah. Steve was okay. Thank God. I didn't mean to do it. Was it too heavy? I think so. But you know what? I did it. it I think too many times in life, somebody gets caught drinking and driving, does something stupid, turns left at a yellow light, gets in an accident, and they have excuses for every bit of their behavior. Enough's enough. Be accountable. Stand That's up for it. yourself. I deserve 20... At that time, I deserved 20 games. I lost a little bit of money, but I didn't have to earn it. I didn't play in 20 games. Um, not happy, not a good moment. I've been suspended a few other times, Chris. And um, Oh, I know. And, but I think, <laughs> again, I think it's a cost of doing business. Yeah. You want somebody? And by, I, need, I need guys with tattoos. Yeah. I, need some, I need some religious guys on my team with a real friggin' like center moral compass. I need some real crazy guys, and I need some real thinkers. Right, some introverted guys that are all 
it's it's the collection of those personalities that builds the team. You need a couple nut bars like you and me. Huh? If you really want to win it, or if you want to win, and if you want to have a great experience through the process, um, you got to have all, all all types. I'm proud to say that I'm a little different than others. I'm unique. Perfect. Let's move on. Well, as you can see, that's why I have Tim alongside me. I'm very inclusive. I, I have a, yeah. Um, yeah. a Irish Filipino. You needed some Irish guys on here. Yeah, I get it. No, when I say let's move on, do you, do you guys not agree as teammates, though? No, for have, sure. You, you no got to have a collection of personalities. Yeah. Even today's game, you think they need like this? Like, do you think the, the Leafs sign in Reeves is a good pickup? Let me go back to last year for one second. The Florida Panthers. You got Sam. Yeah. Yep, yep. You got Sam. You got Sam Bennett. You've got you got you got Matthew Kachuk, right? Mm-hmm. All over the ice, killing guys. And and now that's that's the power forwards game today. Um, I think it's great. Yeah, you do. Will Will Reeves make a difference? I think he certainly has 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 woken up that division where is it Pizzetta in Montreal? You've got. Uh, Milan Lucic signing in Boston. Mm. You've got players in Ottawa, and I'm trying to think of the name right now off the top of my head. Um, guys that are actually now training and 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 beefing up. Teams are actually uh, they've they've taken notice. Toronto's not going to get pushed around anymore. They got Bertuzzi now. They've got Max Domi. Um, now it's not about fighting anymore. But again, it's the threat of the fight is more important. Tim, I think. Um, I still no, think I, I, I agree. Needs to, I agree. It is the I, threat of the fight. I think. I, I, I still think Toronto needs defensemen. Not they. I love their makeup up front. They they got a great forward core right now. It's it looks amazing, but they still got to be able to defend. Oof, the Leafs. You're from Toronto. Did you did you you weren't you were a Boston fan? You said. Yeah, I grew up. I wasn't allowed to be a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. I I think that was my dad's team. My 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 brother was Montreal, and my mother was Buffalo. And because in Toronto we used to get to all the Buffalo channels, so those. And I'm not allowed to cheer for any of those two, those three teams because we all have to have our own team and the next best one. And I think at that time it was the Boston Bruins, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, all these tough, tough guys and that, and those, those personalities. So what about when you played fan. for the Leafs though, or your, your parents, or they refused to go to a game or what? When you're, Oh no, no, not like that. But back <laughs> no, in the day when we used to make, we used to make bets as kids and all that stuff. Yeah. You had to, we had to pick your team. Um, no, my, my parents were so proud that I came home to Toronto um, it was a really neat moment for us. Um, it was cool. I started in Buffalo, which is only two hours away. So they used to drive down. My parents have seen hundreds of NHL games because of proximity to where they lived, where I played. Um, been really lucky, really fortunate. And um, again, being able to play that long, getting to play with mm-hmm. great guys like yourself, Tim, but um, being able to win. And you know what? I've, I won once in 19 years. It means I lost eight. Now, you could look at it that you lost 18 years of your career. I guess in theory, but at the end of the day, it's not easy to win. And when hardest when trophy going, in sports to win, the hardest one to win in sports, the Stanley Cup. I don't care what you know. Yeah, come on. Yeah, we played hockey, but really living that and doing that, how difficult it is to do. It, it was it was unbelievable. And you know what? For me, um, just all those other moments of failure. It just mm-hmm. propelled you to stick it out and that perseverance. I'm fortunate enough to get – I was lucky enough to be on that team and get traded to Anaheim in my 16th year and, 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 and fulfill that dream. Right. But, um, but for the players um, that are young, Corey Perry, Brian Getzlaff, who are retiring soon. Corey's not, but Ryan did. They won one, one Stanley Cup. 
They should, they're both in the Hall of Fame. They won other things. They thought they would win multiple Stanley Cups. They won one. Right. Corey's been in the four of them, right? Three and three the last three years, but um, it's not easy. So all of the above, blessed, Gant, really blessed. Well, you know, looking at that, and I, and I say that my situation, I come to Montreal, they won four in a row. I thought they, my first year they were going to win the f- fifth. We didn't. And then there was changeover, and then it got long, and I'm like, man, it, this might not happen. And if I came a year earlier, I said this before, I probably would have been on the, the fourth in a row team because I was drafted in 78. Then my career is going along, and I'm going, this doesn't look good, you know? And finally, 86, we did it. And then when I retire in 92, the Habs win the next year. I can't imagine if I didn't get that one in 86. I, I, I would have spent, not that, but I would have spent the rest of my life thinking, why didn't I leave school early one year? Because I would have probably had a Stanley Cup. Or why couldn't I have pushed myself and willed myself to have that one more year to be part of that? But having that one Stanley Cup, it's just incredible. And it's nice to be able to say you were part of a group that did that. I want to ask you, Buffalo, Vancouver, Phoenix, Colorado, Anaheim, Toronto, Detroit. What was your favorite year out of those 19 years of hockey? And probably the Stanley Cup, other than the Cup, I guess. What was your favorite year of hockey? Like you just had it all going on. It was, it was it. Can you pick one? Like, well, I, I can pick you. I can pick moments. I don't, I can't say best year. Cause I swear to God. And I, it's, I'm sitting on the fence on this one. Cause every year, every minute there, now that I can't do it was incredible. And I just right. wish that the days that I, I was pissed off and, 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 and overwhelmed. Why couldn't I get it through my head just to enjoy the experience and, and live in that moment. But, um, Anyways, Buffalo was, I'll, I'll say it this way, Chris, Buffalo was amazing, gave me my start, um, incredible people in Buffalo, love, love sports, being a Sabre at that time, back in the day with the Knox family owning the team and the structure being very different. Um, I felt like I was, I, I was a, a big part of a family, um, learned so much there. Went to Vancouver, one of the most beautiful cities in the world, my favorite city in North America, um, loved it, lived in the mountains, played hockey. Uh, got to play with Mark Messier, great experience. Um, not to mention my best friends, Marcus Nazan, Todd Bertuzzi. We all came in or were playing at that time. Phoenix was amazing. Lifestyle in Scottsdale, by the way, Phoenix pisses me off because they should be one of the best franchises in the game if they could get their act together and build a stadium in the right location. Hockey works in Phoenix. It just hasn't. And if I was a fan, I'd boycott it because um, – They've screwed around with my 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 love for hockey for too long, um, going back and forth. I think Phoenix is a great market for for hockey. Love living there. I went back to Vancouver for for a couple seasons. Colorado on the mountains in the mountains in Denver, incredible. Anaheim winning the best. Going home to my hometown Toronto, playing my first game against the Montreal Canadiens for the Toronto Maple Leafs at the Bell Center. What a memory! I'll never forget it. That that's like a childhood dream putting that jersey on and then lasting long enough to get to play with Zetterberg and Lidstrom and Datsuk and Bertuzzi and Draper and, and playing in Detroit um, kind of my last hurrah 
I, I, I loved every year I played okay. in the NHL. What that's, about uh, shitty what answers? About, what about the decision to end in? Uh, you played in the AHL, right? To end the career was that? Well, you... that wasn't my decision, Timmy. Nobody decides that <laughs> yeah. um, unless yeah. unless you're in a contract dispute. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I played in I played in Grand Rapids. I never played in the minors. I think it's a thousand forty one games, whatever above. Um, I got put on waivers at the just before the Olympics of two thousand and ten. I went down, I played 15 or 16 games with the Grand Rapids Griffins. I actually told Ken Holland that I retired when he sent me down or put me on waivers. And if I clear, which I was going to, um, that I, I was going to, um, I was going to go home. My family was living in Toronto at the time. I was in Detroit by myself. And, um, I'm like, I'm not going to Grand Rapids to play hockey. I've never played in the minors. I'm embarrassed, sad. I'm let down. And, Kenny goes, listen, I'll give you a couple weeks. Think about it. I'd love you to be down there. I'd love access to you in the playoffs because we're making the playoffs. And I'd love you to work with the young guys in, in Grand Rapids. Took me a little bit of time. Ended up deciding to go. It's probably the best decision I've ever made at that time. Um, five weeks of hockey. I got to play. Kurt Fraser was our, our, my coach. Jim Pack. They, they played me. I got to play. I love, fell in love with hockey again as a player. I was a veteran player, 38, 37 years old. Thomas Tatar, who's still in the league, is 18. And he's talking to me like, what, what do I have to do? And, and other players that are actually still in the league that were looking for answers and, and, and mentorship. I got good ones in Buffalo. And it was just a perfect way to end my career, to be honest with you, be in that, in that mentor role. Um, but I got sent to the minors, Timmy. I had a I had a concussion in Vancouver years ago, 2004. And I had, I went to a doctor and his name was Don Grant. And I found him on my own through somebody. And anyways, I sent Andreas Lilia, who was on the IR for a year. He was never going to play again. He was making two and a half million bucks thereabouts. And they were never going to play Andreas again in Detroit because of his head, his concussions, the problem. Somehow we, we hit it off, me and Lils, the do team doctor, Kenny Holland, who's amazing in, in, the, in the brass in Detroit. They flew, when we went out to Vancouver, they flew Andreas and, and, um, and our doctor out to Vancouver to go see our, my guy in Vancouver, Don Grant, the best head guy around. And um, Andreas Lilia was activated off the IR for, after over a year the day that I got sent down to the minors or put on waivers, Lils played four and a half more seasons, went to the Stanley cup final with the Philadelphia Flyers a couple years later, the next year. And this guy finished his career with no head injuries. He was never, ever going to play again. I helped him get there. My career ends, his career keeps going. And it was the greatest decision I ever made. And I'm so thankful that, that he found a way to get himself healthy again and play. And at that time, that's what it's all about. And that's a true story. It ended my career, my generosity possibly. But at the end of the day, my career was ending. Um, yeah. I'm, so, I'm so happy that that, that experience and that, 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 that interaction happened. It, get Andreas Lilia on your podcast. Ask him the question. And I, it's not about me. The greatest part about that is a lot of my buddies have gone to see my, 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 my doctor friend. Um, and he's really made a difference. Guys that have like serious chronic concussion related symptoms um amazing amazing man 
and um, he saved me and helped me and he helped others. Awesome. But it, that ended my career and Lil's kept playing and I couldn't be happier. I played against uh, you. I was on the Wolves with Shelly, Chelios. And I was like, yes. Mayday's yeah. on the other team, uh-huh. Shelly's on mine. I was like, I got to get out of the minors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you guys, you, you, you were at the Wolves, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and Darren Hadar was on your team too? Well, we had Jason Krog. Darren Hadar was oh, there. St- the year. Yeah. He was, he was, I oh, think, they- with, I, he went to Grand Rapids at one point. Yeah. Oh. So. Yeah, yeah. You guys had great players. Jason yeah. Krog was making seven hundred and fifty grand <laughs> yeah, in Chicago. Yeah. Well, exactly. Brad, from what I know of you, and that's a good story. I mean, you are a good guy. Uh, the times we've met, I really uh, uh, appreciate your uh, your your openness. You're a good guy. You're friendly all the time. Yeah, yeah. We've had some good chats, you and I. Um, and and talking about that. Um. We had a guy on this podcast that Tim knows, Jay Rosehill. And yes. Jay told us a story about Mayday <laughs> and how Mayday, when he asked you for a fight, you couldn't give it to him right away. You had to wait for some reason. Tell us the story about you and Jay Rosehill because, boy, was he ever funny talking about that. He said, oh, I couldn't wait to fight him. And I asked him and he said, I don't know, something was going on. You had to wait before yeah, you I got to get my legs going. I got to get my legs going. So the, tr- the my, my, my side of the story, I'm living in Toronto. I just told you about going to, going to Detroit, but I was, I hadn't signed a contract. It's my last year. I was skating every day in Toronto at a rink with a, a friend of mine, Eddie Choi. And, and we we're on the ice. I don't know. I, I went and picked my kids up at school. I never lived in Toronto before in my life. I grew up north of Toronto, but um, my family's now there. I rent a house. I get my kids into school. My career's over. But I'm, I'm still hanging on just in case. I get a phone call. It's two two games left of an exhibition. I have not shot on a goaltender <laughs> since the last time you and I were in practice together, Timmy, in Toronto. That was like six months earlier, five months earlier. I, I've been shooting, but I haven't not on a goalie. And I get ca- called at 4 o'clock. I was watching – Oprah Winfrey, I got home. I'm watching Oprah Winfrey at four to five o'clock with my wife. I'm laying on the couch. My phone rings and it's Ken Hall. And he's like, are you in shape? Yes. Can you make, can you be on the ice tomorrow in Detroit? I, we need to see you before we'll sign you. And I'm like, yes. So I hang the phone up. I make jump sure in the you car. have two arms and two legs. <laughs> so I, I, I get to Detroit. I have a practice in Detroit, which I've not, these guys have had training camp. They've actually tried, you know, got themselves ready for training camp. They've had training camp. Jay Rosehill's been in about eight or ten fights. He had rookie <laughs> camp, and he had, and I've been in Toronto watching this stuff on Sportsnet. And anyways, I, I get to Detroit. We play Toronto back to back. So the next day is a game against Toronto, and then the next Friday, Saturday, back to back. And this guy's on a roll, and I'm like, okay, chances are I'm going to fight this guy. Well, he asked me early in the game, but I haven't like I got to get these things rolling a little bit, and and. They also want to see if I can skate and play. Not they already know I can fight. I don't necessarily have to give Jay Rosehill this opportunity. Mm-hmm. I think maybe in some cases, and I will never change it. Guys gave me my chance when I was young and hungry, like he was, and for me to pick my spot there and say I'm a I'm a 19 year veteran in the National Hockey League. I don't need to fight yeah, you. I can't do this. First Sorry. of all, that would be the, that would be the biggest douchebag move with zero honor and respect. Like yeah. th- this is what we you're in that game you take on all comers for the most yeah. part. Right. And um, anyways, we end up having, we did have a great fight and um, I don't, I, I met Jay after the fact, but 
I don't know him terribly well, but I love that that he actually remembers it and has a good memory of it. Oh yeah, he. I know. It up right, I know right? him well, and I know yeah. that like his. It's so awesome to hear your side of this story because his side <laughs> is like he's asking this. You know, it's a legend and a guy in the game. He's like asking and he's so excited you're telling him you know he's like i'm afraid to keep asking you know and then it's like if he would have known you were watching oprah like two days before <laughs> like he probably wouldn't have asked you you know like that's he has a, like respect like that so it's kind of funny to hear your side too like yeah, seriously he, oprah oprah i was not on the couch not and, and, I, and my my career is over at this moment right uh-huh. it was um but but to get in the mindset i was actually excited about it but i hadn't hit a heavy bag i haven't I haven't trained to be a fighter. I just trained to be like get back in shape, you know, on the ice. So, um, but it, it turned comes out it, natural, natural to you, it, right? It does. It it, it, right? it does. And and it was like at the end of the day, it was. Um, I think you were able to play this long, Chris, playing the way you did, myself included. Maybe we we got a little special gene in us, or whatever that way, or not so special. But mm-hmm. but you know what? I was always prepared and confident in being able to protect myself yeah. whether whether you win or lose that's yeah. i don't care about that stuff but i was i knew i was able to protect myself that i wasn't afraid to get absolutely manhandled because i could actually um handle myself physically i took taekwondo as a teenager and i think it's the greatest thing i ever did it's all about yeah. grappling and um and then somewhere the the the, the switch turned and, yeah, uh, the, the wires touch together, and, yeah. and that's fine. Yeah. Listen, I, one thing during my career I hated, and I always said to myself, I got to stay true to myself. I'm never, I'm going to have a problem if a coach ever taps me on the shoulder and says, go fight him. Uh, it never happened, but I had a coach that made an inference that I wasn't fighting enough. Did you ever have to deal with that? And I always promised myself, if a coach tells me to go fight, I'm going to tell him to go himself where he can go. So did that ever happen to you? And how did you feel after if it um, did? It happened to me for sure. Um, yeah. Now I'm just trying to think of specific situations. I think it's more about us reading the situation, right? Team's not doing have well. Have confidence in me that I yeah. can do it. You don't have yeah. to fucking yeah. tell me. Yeah. I know um, when. My, my teammates, I, I, I know my teammates got mad at coaches that yeah. would actually put, whether it's me or whoever else that was, would actually find themselves there um, where – you know, that was a bullshit move. Shouldn't have done that. I, I disagree. And I politely disagree with you in this. Yeah. For me, for me, disagree in the sense that I wouldn't handle it that way. Tell me. The, the more I know, the better decision I'm going to make. Yeah. So if you leave it up to me at this moment, you, the, I, I, didn't, I didn't like the red light, green light. I don't know if you ever had coaches that used to use that, like traffic stops. Like the, this period's a red light situation, yeah, but, yeah, so yeah. no fighting. And then this period's a green light. So now it's up to no, you to make a never. decision. Okay. So different way to communicate, different coaches. Um, listen, if a coach said, listen, Chris Nile's on the other side. I know you're scared shit of him, Brad, but he's running around. You got to do something because whatever. If he told me that, that would be in, inferring go fight Chris Nyland. Mm. I would actually relish that. I would rather know that from the See, coach. I'm opposite. Than, I'm opposite than, of that. Than I think it's me. to me, it's no respect. I can do my job. I know when to do it. And chances are, you coach, you don't know the first thing about fucking fighting. You know, I, I unless don't. unless you're a guy who did it in the league. And most of the coaches, none of them ever had a fucking fight. I, I agree with you there. I, I think you have yeah. to. Leave, I, I think they'd have to leave it open ended. But that would be, in, in the same argument, it would be the same as saying, t- 
to Joe Sackick, who's a guy who knows how to score goals and run a power play, to actually sit back and listen to his coach design a play when he hasn't even played at this level. But he's a coach and he's designing the power play. Joe's still got to listen to it to actually be execute and be The fighting's successful. a little different, though. Is it? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if yeah. it is. I, 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 got, I think I, the fighting's I, a little different. I'm on your I side. I think that but, role is, is yeah. different where that you got to handle it. I had a coach that took me in Jacques LeMaire, I'll go back to LeMaire, that he told me I fought too much. That And he would take me out of situations where at home, where I like coaches that, put me, he'd take me out of situations. On the road, there were ones he had to leave me in. He'd never stop me on the road because he knew if he started me on the road, it's like, screw you, we're going to... He would always kind of leave it up to me, which was good. And honestly, the one coach I had that made the inference, I ended up getting traded because I confronted him on it and he didn't like it. But I found it disrespectful to a player to do that. Uh, you go fight. You go fight this guy. I, I, I'll i never, ever change my mind on that. But I get where you're coming from. I hear and I, it, it's and going back I respect to this. the way you you deal with it. That's my own personal yeah. shit yeah. that I, 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 if, I if think we, it's disrespectful. I, I don't, you know what? I don't disagree with you. I, I see it differently, possibly. But again, going back to our first part of the conversation, it's probably tone. Not necessarily even the words you use. It's the tone and the care and how do you communicate that message to that player. Yeah. Um, I definitely know that there's a, you're not the only one, and there's probably you're in the majority of players that would think that too. It is. Mm. It's not an it's not an easy job when you go out and get your head beat in in front of the uh. you know possibly sixteen nineteen thousand people. But um, for me, I just more information I have, I have a better opportunity to to select or decide on the right path for me, or for the team at that in that case. I guess, um, let's think, so from, you've had a lot of teammates over the course of your career. I've received advice from different teammates over the years. And I remember one in particular, Bob Gainey, who had a message to me that was long lasting and really helped me during my career. Did you ever have that player you played with that gave you a piece of advice that, wow, that really helped me moving forward? I've, I've had so many from Dale Howardchuck, the late Dale Howard. But that one piece of advice, oh, you know, oh, the one, okay, one, the one, yeah, like that one, that one guy that come out and said something that really, you, it stuck with you the rest of the way. Well, pa everything Patty Lafontaine said to me, um, we are roommates for years. Um, I'm married today for 30 I, years because I, I love met Pat that guy. I, I, I met Pat Lafontaine at a, at a, at a young age. I was 19. He's my captain. We become roommates. Um, I'm married today to the same girl, my girlfriend, um, parent because of Pat, or not because, but certainly with the aid of Pat Lafontaine, he was, he was just the greatest. Um, so life lessons that way, um, Dale Howarchuk on the ice, didn't have to stay on the ice for 20, 30, 40 minutes after a practice multiple times, but he's like, he's probably a smart guy. I got to get this young guy up to speed quickly. Cause if he's going to play on my left wing every once in a while, um, I need him to get me the puck. <laughs> so for him to do this, we got to work on this hard rims. He, he'd always yell at me. He played with a guy named Paul McLean, yeah, coach yeah. in, in Winnipeg. Coach. And Paul scored over 30 goals. And um, he's like, get the puck. You have to be moving your feet right away. You're standing still. You cannot get me the puck in stride. And that, that's one case that stayed with me 
Of course, did you do it every night? Probably not. But it was always in the back of my mind, that conversation. Um, a lot of little ones. Um, and, and, and they're not coming to me right, right away, like a specific. Okay. But um, played with some great teammates, man. Like, again, I to- talk about Messier. A lot of things that he did for Maslin, Bertuzzi, Morrison, Jovanovski, Olin. A lot of, a lot of their growth happened mm-hmm. after Mark. Um, Cause you got to sit there and marinate in six Stanley cups and stories and, 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 and what do you need to do? I got on a bus once we had, we had 50 or 60 or 70 hamburgers from McDonald's, whatever it was, it was after a practice <laughs> guys are walking on, grabbing their, you know, fries and a burger or whatever it was. And mess walked by this whole tray or whatever it was box sat down and the guys were like, what do you mess? Like have a burger. He's like, I don't eat that. We're like, what are you talking about? You didn't mean you don't need McDonald's burgers. He's like, I've never had McDonald's in my life. Now he's 37 years old. I'm 27. I don't know for 10 years different. I, I, I got 12% body fat and Mark Messi is sitting at 6% body fat and he's ripped and he's looks better than the 22 year old in our, in our, in our locker room. And that, that was like, Holy shit. You know what we do eat does have consequences, which is, stupid to say today but back then um we were professional athletes i didn't need to modify my diet um right little lessons little lessons like that right you, you see you see guys that do it better than you instead of trying to fight it just absorb it and instead of making mistakes why don't you they've already made their mistakes they've already got to that point why don't you just yeah. fast track it and do what they do and emulate that, those guys so i was lucky enough to play with a lot of older players and even younger players that that actually had great habits, I was able to pick up. Was I smart enough to do it at the time? Maybe not at the time, but I can look back and say it was a learning how to learn is a great lesson. Yeah, yeah. I, it's funny. funny. And I mentioned that Bob Gainey. I remember after my, my during my first year up, um, and I had fun in the locker room. You know, I, the guys, you know, look to me to do my job, obviously. You give a lot of guys confidence around you. I remember I had three fights in a game. And the next day in practice, Bob Berry was skating me like crazy at the end of practice. And I came in with an attitude the next day like you wouldn't believe. And I'm skating around. I just didn't want to talk to anybody. I wanted the coach to know I was fucking pissed off and... I, I was just angry. I mean, I was sore, everything. And Bob Gainey, uh, let me fester in it for a little bit. And then about 15 minutes in, he come up to me, he said, Knuckle, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? Fucking sore. And I, I said, I fight three times the other night. The guy skates my balls off yesterday. I can't even move today. He said, lose the attitude. Lose it. And I'm like, uh, so I got through the practice Then he took me for a beer and we talked and he said, listen, people look to you, you know, you're always fun out there. I'm going to, and then when you're down, you don't know how that affects other people. You, you, you gotta suck it up. You gotta suck it up. Leave that at home. Don't bring it to the ring. Best piece of advice I ever had. And believe me, there were nights I had a hard time to do that. And you, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, you yeah. have those tough nights. And it's tough to come in all, hey, everybody, that was fun, yeah. And you're like, oh, oh. you know, yeah. how tough did it get for you at the end? Because it got tough for me at the end, you know, the fighting part. 
mentally. Uh, you know what? I swear to God, maybe maybe because I was watching Oprah and I got a phone call, <laughs> and and then my life took off again for at least five six months. I I think I fought fourteen or fifteen times, and and like that last, I fought four times in the, the minors. Last, hurrah. Yeah, at the end of my career, I four of those fifteen games. I don't know. I, I, I no, I still love it. I miss it. If I could fight again today in hockey, like right now, if I, if you want somebody to come in on a one, I can't play too many shifts, but if you want one player to sign them or I could do that. I love it. Um, I think there's the art of fighting, the ability to keep yourself safe, which I'm confident in being able mm. to do or was able to not anymore. Mm. Um, I loved it. So it wasn't that hard for me. It was, that's the one thing. I loved it too. I loved doing it. It got hot at the end mentally yeah. for me. The, the, the hardest thing for me was, was trying to be who, like, who am I like mm. tonight? Like, because you could try to, you, you, you could hope to be everything for everybody, whether that's, you know, the guy who can go out and hit, you know, whatever first on the four check and get it, be a player and maybe pitch in and, I don't know. Now I'm being played in a different role, different scenarios. Um, it was hard to juggle. Am I a player or I'm just a plugger? Like who, who what, what am I? How? And, and I think those different hats when you get traded and certainly late in your career, um, I remember them. I don't know if I was happy at the time though, Chris, I, I think maybe it was, it was uncomfortable, but the fighting element, yeah. I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. Oh, good for you. I, I love doing my job too. I absolutely loved it. I didn't have a problem with it. I could sleep in the afternoon before a game, the night before a game. But I will say, for me, at the end, I started questioning myself a little bit. It got tough. Got tough, you know. I mean, I was telling Tim before. I told him before I fought the Grim Reaper one night, young rookie foaming at the mouth, and the next night, Jim McKenzie. He was in Hartford. I'm like, whoop! This is getting a little tough on the old knuckles. You know, I was 34. I'm like. It was tough on me, but six, yeah, six oh, feet well. tall. Both those guys are six five, six uh, six animals. No, no. I, I'm with you. This, <laughs> this, I don't know about you, but for the, the, I wouldn't say the bigger the better because sometimes yeah, that like, guy's not like that guy's much better. tougher. But the bigger guy, chances are I'm going to do better against a big guy than a guy my own size. Me too. Thank you. You yeah, know that. You, you know said that. the same thing. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. It's funny. Funny stuff. Listen, Mazo. Um, May Day. Um, before I let you go, uh, one, I want to elaborate on that last point. Why for you was fighting the big guy better? For me, it's because he, uh, he absolutely thought that he was stronger than me, which is not a chance at the time. I don't <laughs> think, or, or, or more confident. He's, a, he's more to lose. He's yeah. bigger. Everybody expects, Oh my God, they, Oh, this is a mismatch. And all of a sudden, that guy has more energy. And when I know his energy, I could shut my eyes and actually, I really, I wish I actually could go back to those days. I think I could have fought with my eyes closed a lot of the, the fights. I had the ability to know where their hands were because the way I could grab in, yeah, in, in all same. perfect scenario. And the more aggressive you are, I'm going to tire you out and allow that your aggression is going to set me up. You're going to outlast them. Outlast them, but also if, if we're in a pushing match, whoever's stronger is going to win, right? But either way, well, if if I if he's pushing with this hand, and I just let go, yeah. now he's yeah. now he's off balance, and so I when he's pushing, I pull him, boom. I I think I had that ability. I don't know. A lot of this stuff is a crock of shit. We just fought because <laughs> we loved it, but. 
but um, I wasn't afraid. A lot of guys would grab the shoulders, like up here in that area, yeah. across to the guy. Right here. I would, my, my, right there, right where your hand is. Yeah, right there. You grab him in we the elbow. We all the same yeah. way, Maisel. And, and all you have is from the elbow to your fist. So you have oh. a, foot and a foot and a half maybe to hit me. If I control your elbows, you'll never, ever hit me with hurt a good me. shot. You won't you'll hurt never me. hurt me. No. Yeah. Who was your toughest now, fight, I, would you say? Who, would you, who was your toughest fight, you think? I, it's funny. I, I didn't fight as, like, um, toughest fight, scariest fight, most fear that I felt, most uncomfortable I've ever been, um, was fighting Derek Bugard. Oof. 2007 yeah. he's six foot Oof. and it, unfortunately and you're near Derek, the end too yeah that, near the end around oh. near the end he's um, a scary I, guy yeah i just i i had to fight him i did something to his teammate the year prior in the playoffs um whatever i gotta stand up for myself and my team and where you know whatever and the anticipation of death is worse than death itself <laughs> right because after the fight everything worked out pretty good for me actually it was all right but those four days leading up to it was pretty, pretty anxious. And um, everybody around me, I felt their anxiety more than my own, but just coupled my, mm -hmm. my feeling. But I'd say he was the scariest, toughest fights. So many of them, because guys are on rolls at times. Some guy names you probably don't even know, but, or, or aren't household names. I'd say one, Shane Corson, one of my first fights I ever fought in the NHL was in Montreal, Montreal Forum. Me and Course, it's a three-on-three -three situation. We fought for, like, they broke up the other two fights first, and then me and Course were up and down the ice. And um, it was my my coming out party that I actually belonged. But I, I remember it as being so tough and and just I was so worried even during the fight. He's like, a tough kid I got, too. I got a last to the end, and <laughs> and he was he was tough. But um, a lot of tough guys, a lot of tough guys, a lot of guys that don't get that respect, maybe just because of longevity, but. Any guy that's willing to do that has my respect. I, I got a, one last one, and I, I want to say something before we end. Um, if you could write, or someone's going to write your eulogy, but if you're going to write your eulogy, what would you want said about you? And what do you think will be said about you? It's a great question. Um, I would say... I would, Fiercely loyal, incredibly fun, most optimistic person, hopefully, that, that this person has had an opportunity to be around. And I think it would end some with all those other beautiful th thoughts. Flawed. This guy was messed <laughs> up. He was a goofball, right? He, he was unpredictable. But this guy lived life to the fullest. And he slid into home plate, battered and bruised. And you know what? Nobody could have had a better experience than him. That's, that's what that's awesome. I hope, yeah. that's hopefully that's the way awesome. it ends. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, I couldn't honestly. Uh, well said, and and from from the hot, which I like. Um, and, and lastly, I want to um, again express my condolences for you to your family. For Thank I know you. you just lost your brother, and I. I mean Thank that from you. the bottom of my heart. That's a terrible thing I have to deal with. Uh, was your brother older or younger than you? My big brother, Daryl. Um, big brother, Daryl. He, yeah. he was two years older than me. We were born. He, he was a 69 birthday. I was 1971, um, basically two years apart. Um, just a wonderful dude. And unfortunately, he was 53. And he had a heart attack. And, and before dinner, he had a wonderful day. He was making dinner with his wife and went in to lay down and just never got up. And 
I, I guess for us, get your heart checked, get, get those testing. We're through that three years of COVID bullshit um, that people are afraid of going to a doctor, those environments. Let's get on top of it. I just got, I got news. A friend of mine has, um, you know, colon cancer and, 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 and a few different, you know, whatever, all these things that possibly on early detection, we can check. Um, we're afraid of the money that it costs, obviously to get checked. That's, that's a barrier, but get checked if you can. Um, and my brother, if he had, if he had luckily just gone in, he would have been one of those candidates probably for a bypass, a couple yeah. bypasses and, and he'd be here today. So, um, he left behind his children, which yeah. are my, my children. They're my niece and nephew. And we got a great family. And I think as beautiful or as hard as it was and awful. And my, my brother's upstairs telling me he doesn't want to see us unhappy and sad. He wants to watch us do great things and enjoy our life. And, um, he wants his kids taken care of, and and as a family, we're going to do that. Yeah, I I don't see a problem with that. I listen, you know, I don't see a sad May Day ever. Anytime I've seen you, been fun to be around. You're sincere, you're open, you're honest guy. Absolutely love you, and I want to thank you for joining Tim and I. Awesome stuff, Brad. Awesome. I, May I really appreciate. Hey, listen, I really appreciate it. Um, I'm proud of you too, and I and I'm looking at you, Nux. Um, I know, I don't know the full gamut, but we've had those conversations and yeah. I was with you and, and Bobby P, Bob Probert in Montreal, yeah. um, a number of years back. And that's, that was my introduction to you. And, um, I know what you, you, you're just, you're, you're a beacon of hope for others. And you know what? Well, appreciate it. And, and I love that. And Timmy, you got a great fucking personality, man. And you're doing great. Um, I don't see, obviously we haven't seen each other since we played together, but you're you're both of you i love what you're doing love what you're doing keep and keep spreading the word telling yeah, people no, stories I, uh, I appreciate that i wasn't long in the league but one of my highlights was being teammates with you for sure so i appreciate uh, you coming yeah. on you yeah. know what we're, we're all about promoting each other you know what rising tide rises all ships guys and yeah. um yeah. and you know what we all have a great story to tell they're different some are more boring some are more crazy but we all have some something to give so keep Good doing stuff. that for our buddies awesome. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Raw Knuckles podcast. Don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe.